A man become preeminent, he is expected to have enthusiasms. 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 What am I? What draws my admiration? What is that which gives me joy? Baseball. Alrighty, folks, welcome back to another episode of the Pull Hitter Podcast, your destination for actionable resources and tools to make your fantasy baseball season a success in 2023. I'm Rob Pietro, the dead pull hitter. My special guest today is Mr. Derek Cardi. What's going on, Derek? Thanks for joining me. Yeah, thanks so much for having me on. I appreciate it. Yeah, absolutely. I know you were telling me right now it's just a crazy busy time, right? Getting ready for all these fantastic new things that baseball threw at us this year. Yeah, they're uh, they're not making it easy for guys who do things. <laughs> I'll tell you that much. <laughs> yeah, because not only are you doing the like you're doing a lot of the betting stuff as well as the you know just the straight up baseball projection. So it's just a layer and layer of work on top of trying to identify. I guess even just the you know like the the values, the futures, and all that stuff that you can get into right now. Yeah, exactly. I mean, there's just there's so much going on, and there's so much to account for this year, and there's so much uncertainty that there's really only a certain level, you know, of confidence that we can have, but, you know, we do the best we can and and hope that, uh, you know, that's, you know, you're going to land on the right thing. Right. Yeah. <laughs> at least closer than the next guy. <laughs> yeah. Closer than the next guy. That's the, that's the biggest goal for sure. So tell me like how you got here. Um, is it, was it through a love of sports or a love of stats in general? What, what was the blend to get to what you're doing now? Yeah, I always loved sports. I played sports growing up, mostly basketball, but uh, always loved sports. Um, I was always really good in school. Uh, you know, math was was something that came very naturally to me. And in high school, I read Moneyball, and it just kind of clicked that like, oh, you can combine sports and math, and this is really cool and fun. And and so that was kind of the start of it. That's awesome. Yeah. Sports and math is, uh, I was good at math too in school and that is a great combination. I think it, it helps when you're, you know, this hobby that we do is, uh, it, it's a good combo because I think looking at numbers is a great start, but also having like that intuitive feeling of watching a game and understanding if the spreadsheets match with like, you know, what's really happening, right? If something doesn't, if something makes sense numbers wise, but you just like, man, why does this make sense? It's just, it always helps back it up just for the sports background for sure. Yeah. It's nice to understand why things are, yeah. happening. <laughs> you know, e even when you're building, you know, models and whatnot, like you want it to pass the eye test. You want it to make intuitive sense, the results that you're getting. And so, you know, having a sports background does help with that. Yeah, that's true. That must be such a tough battle. Like, have you ever gotten to a point where you're like, I don't know why this is improving my model. Like what it doesn't really, like, I don't understand it. 
Have you ever been to that point? And- yeah, there's definitely times where that happens. And so, you know, you kind of take some time and you really think about it and you try to come up with a reason why that might be the case. You go back through your code to make sure you didn't mess anything up to make sure that the result yeah. is actually what's happening. Um, but yeah, there's, there's a lot of that kind of critical thinking involved. That's awesome. So if, if, if you could just give a general advice to anyone who wants to get started, like just Havelic being a basic set of of a projection, how would you advise them to just go about it? I'd advise them not to because <laughs> <laughs> it is just so much work. Even a basic set, you're going to put a lot of work in. And there's so many people doing them right now that like to get to the level of, you know, not just mine, the bat, but steamer or Pakoda or like whatever else is out there. It's going to take a lot of work. And I mean, what's the point of it really? Like you're not going to gain a whole lot because there's just so many good things out there right now. I feel like even if you're super into fantasy and math and statistics and whatnot, like there are just better ways uh, of of spending your time. Um, if you were going to do it, I guess you want to make a basic set just because you're you're weird like that and you want to do it. I mean, I certainly was at one point, so I get it. Yeah. <laughs> um, but it's a very, very uh, special kind of person that that is like that. I think the first thing you you do is Google uh, Marcel, M-A-R-C-E-L. Um, it was invented by Tom Tango, I don't know, 20, 25 years ago, maybe. It's basically just like the bare minimum that you kind of need for a projection. Um, it's, you know, the kind of the tagline was like, it's, you know, so simple a monkey could do it or something like that. So uh look up that it's basically your, your three kind of core parts of a projection, which is regression to the mean multiple years of data and aging curves. Right. That makes sense. And how, how long have you been doing this? Um, I've been in the industry now, I think 17 or 18 years, which is wild and makes me feel incredibly old, but, um, well, you look incredibly young. So, I mean, you must have started (laughs) really young. Or just yeah. aging really well too. <laughs> well, thank you. I appreciate it. Um, but yeah, probably projections, maybe close to 15 of those years wow. when I started building the bat. Yeah. That's awesome. And what kind of, um, I guess there's a lot of, you know, there's a lot of pushback always on a projection system and everyone's always quick to point out the things that are wrong with them. But I think the, I think a lot of people go wrong when they don't really understand what the projections are trying to tell us. So if you could just like for all the um, people who are slowly converting to it or want to believe in it more, what what's the basic like message? What's the basic thing it's telling us and how can we leverage that to be better? Yeah, that's a really good question. And and you're right. There are a lot of people out there who are skeptical of projections and, you know, they find things, you know, quote unquote wrong with them. But I think it's not so much that the projection is wrong. It's that, like you said, the people don't always understand even what it is. And if you're going to try to criticize something, you should at least understand it first. And then your criticisms will be valid if you have something that is valid to criticize. Um, I guess that the easiest way to talk about what a projection is, 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 I guess first, let's talk about what it's not. Like someone sees a projection, okay, the bat projects, I don't even know what it is. Let's say the bat projects Mike Trout to hit 40 home runs this year. Okay, what if Mike Trout hits 41 home runs? Does that mean the bat was was wrong because he didn't hit 40 exactly? Uh, what if he hits, you know, three? Th- then is it wrong? Like where where is the line? What is, and, and that's, I think the basic misunderstanding of a projection is it's not, 
it's not a prediction. It's not saying I know for sure Mike Trout's going to hit 40 home runs. It's saying, okay, there's a lot of uncertainty in baseball. We deal with small sample sizes. There's a lot of things that we can't control for. Um, and so I'm going to look at all of the possible outcomes for Mike Trout. If you were to run this season in a billion alternate universes, all the exact same conditions, everything, it wouldn't be the same outcome every single time. Sometimes Mike Trout, just through sheer dumb luck, injury, like just whatever, uh, some years he's going to hit three home runs. Some years he's going to hit 20. Some years he's going to hit 40 right on the nose. Some years he's going to hit 75. Um, what a projection essentially does is that it takes all of those possible outcomes and the likelihood of each one happening and it averages them together. That, that's the best way to describe it. So it takes all the things that can happen, how likely they are to happen, and then it gives you the most likely, basically. So it's not saying Mike Trout is definitely going to hit 40 home runs. It's saying on average, Mike Trout is most likely to hit 40 home runs but there's a good chance he's going to hit 41 or 39. And there's a decent chance he's going to hit 42 or 38. Like that's kind of what a projection is. It's more of a range of outcomes or an average of a range of outcomes than a, this is the only thing that could possibly happen. Yeah, no, that makes a whole bunch of sense. And I like how you brought that up to measuring accuracy. Like if you're three homers off, but you nailed the K rate and the OPS, like there's so many different things to judge. I've always wondered like how they tested like the complete accuracy. I guess it's, you know, there's several things you can get into with that, but that's, um, I think that's a great, a great summary because it, it took me a while. Like I was just a casual home league player that just, you know, I, I read baseball HQ all the time. And that, that was just the next level of advancement for me. And then when I got into the NFBC, I kind of realized, okay, I got to, I have to get better. You know, I realized that there's just players out there way better than me. So I kind of, I, I have to understand what the projections are. And that's what I did. Like, I didn't just say, all right, let me start following them. I really tried to understand how, you know, what's the best way to use them and what they're trying to tell us. And I think that's where a lot of people go wrong too. And like, I, and I'll hear people say, oh, well, no one, no one, predicted you know spencer strider's breakout but like if you looked at his k rate and the projection systems they were kind of like in the 10 and a half 11 percent range so if you thought he was going to pitch 100 innings or 90 innings well then you could have seen that breakout you know like the rate stats are are there to be absorbed yeah. and and utilized you know and that's and that's where the edge comes in fantasy like just maybe finding the playing time that that others aren't seeing or you're just taking that skills overall type of um approach you know yeah playing time is the hardest thing to project i don't even try to i just take it from atc and fangrass depth charts and like if you think you know more about a situation and the playing time looks wrong to you like adjust it and rescale the projection you know the rate projections to whatever you think the playing time is going to be like that is 100 viable and i think the other thing about projections too is that a lot of times people don't even understand what's going into the projection they're like well this projection can't possibly be right because like last year he had such a good barrel rate or last year, like he had such a good, you know, his strikeout rate improved so much. It's like, well, the projection knows that the projection yeah. knows that it's taking it into account. If you're considering it on top of the projection, you're double counting. Like yes. if you're going to veer away from a projection, understand what it is and is not accounting for before you try to do that. Right. hundred percent. I I've ran into that for sure. Like, Oh no, this is probably in it already. And I think I'll, I'll ask you later a couple of things that I look at and I'm wondering like they're, if they're kind of in the, in the data set, but 
In terms of the new ball that we experienced, you know, there's just like the humidor and all this wonderful stuff. Um, is is there data there to play with a new ball or should we just never expect the the same ball, I guess? Like, how do we approach that? The ball stuff is so frustrating. <laughs> it's frustrating, not just because obviously they change the ball all the time, but it's frustrating from a season long perspective because it doesn't take long to recognize that a new ball is being used. If you look, you know, you run the math on it, you can tell that there's a new ball, like league numbers stabilize very quickly within like, I don't know, like three days. Like if wow. on day three of the season, we can say with pretty decent certainty what the ball is, is going to play like. Um, the problem is that we draft before day one. We don't, we can't make it to day three. It happens so quickly, but we still don't know ahead of time what it's going to be, which is very frustrating. So from year to year, um, it's tough to say what the ball is going to be. We're all kind of just guessing. Once we get in season, it's very easy to tell if they changed up in the middle of the year, like the bat is set up so that it can detect, Oh, it just changed recently. Like it's, you know, it's going to adjust everything based on that. But, uh, you know, before the season, it sucks. And uh, if they're using multiple different balls, which I guess they were last year, from what everyone's saying, then yeah, that's yeah. What's your opinion on that? Like whole thing, the whole Goldilocks, you know, Judge Harrison yeah. Bader playoff balls. I mean, what's the what's the take from that? Anything? The take is that Major League Baseball is frustrating. That that's <laughs> that's the take. Like, there's yeah. nothing you can really do about it. Um, and so all the bat does is it kind of just takes a weighted average of the last few balls we've seen and says, well, until, you know, until we get a few years where we know they're just using the same ball over and over, it's going to just kind of hedge a little bit and, you know, kind of take a weighted average of, of some of the possible things that we might see. Yeah. That's smart. It's, it, it, it is increasingly frustrating because like, especially in the NFBC where we're kind of, um, you know, shooting for percentile ranks or something, you know, to like gain a good standing in the overall standings and, you're shooting for 320 homers and on average now it went down to 290 and like mid season, like during the season, you're trying to get this power on fab and you're like, it's just not there. <laughs> you know, it's like, <laughs> it's not there. What am I going to do? And obviously there's, there's, there's other teams that are coming down with you, but obviously the, te those teams that drafted a judge or Schwarber type had some type of edge, at least in power. Um, so, so how do you deal with like rookies and prospects? Like what's what's the most stickiest thing that we could trust with them? And I guess I also wanted to know too, like, is there a, like, how do you compare, I guess, higher prank, quote unquote, higher ranked prospects? And it's like a different weight set for them or just a universal one for everybody? Yeah. So prospects are, are obviously something that's very contentious in the, the project, projection community because, uh, you know, like people, people always hate when they see a rookie's projection. They're like, well, why does this guy who we know is a great prospect, why does he project to be at only average or below average? Like, why don't you like him? Don't you, can't you see, like all the scouts say this guy's going to be the best hitter on the planet. Like why, do, why doesn't the, why is the projection so dumb that it doesn't know that? It's like, well, the problem is that there have been lots of those guys in the past and the projections being objective about it, it's saying, okay, I've seen this before. I've seen Byron Buxton come up. I've seen Yuan Moncada come up. I've seen Dansby Swanson come up. I've seen Jared Kellenick come up. Uh, and they were the top prospects. And uh, 
they sucked right away. And so again, we talked about it before. Projection is basically the average of all possible outcomes. And for rookies, even top prospect rookies, there are a lot of really bad outcomes going into that. And so, yeah, sometimes you're going to wind up with a Tatis or an Acuna who just crushes right away, but they're more the exception to the rule rather than what you should actually be expecting from these guys. And so that's why rookie projections look the way they do. <laughs> no, that totally makes sense. And that's funny. Can't you see, but on the flip side, that's what you're saying. Can't you see like all this data that we have that it's, it's, it's not all rosy and sunshine, you know? Yeah. Um, it's very and- easy to be optimistic about a prospect, but not a lot of people are realistic. <laughs> Yes, very, very good point. Um, I know there's like some available minor league stack cast stuff, but it's like very limited. Is there any like of that data that goes into the projection? Then I know they're going to have Hawkeye um, apparently in all the minor league stadiums. So is that something you'll try to incorporate as well? Yeah, it definitely is. I started looking into it a little this offseason. I haven't put any minor league stack cast stuff in yet. It's uh, it's fairly incomplete. Um, it's only in a few ballparks. I think there's you know, potentially some calibration issues with certain ones. So I haven't, it hasn't been enough of a priority since, you know, we only have, have it for certain players and whatnot, but uh, especially once it gets into all the parks, then that will, I would definitely be including that. And then like, cause I know there's like several parks that quote unquote play up, you know, like kind of like a cores field in the minors. Um, the, does any of that have any weighting too? Like if a if a pitcher has a good K rate, you know, at a at a bad park in the minors like Arizona is like, how does that get transferred? Does any of that try to be you know baked into the projection? Yeah, absolutely. So I mean, people should be pretty familiar with park factors at the major league level. Like we know Coors Field is is a great park. We know, you know, uh whatever they're calling it in Oakland now I'm blanking the Coliseum Odaco <laughs> like whatever it is overstock park um uh we know that's a pitcher's park um yeah. and we we can calculate those things at the major league level but we can do the same thing in the minors so that's that's what the bat does it uses minor league park factors it adjusts it was a pain in the ass last year because they reshuffled all of the leagues and so there were different parks and different teams playing in each league now which meant you had to redo park factors and you had to make some estimates for that was a pain in the ass, but yes, easy answer is uh minor league park factors. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Awesome. That's good to know. Um, so I wanted to talk about, I guess the differences between last year's projection system and this year's and like talking about too, like, I guess I was wondering, did you always take into account like the shift data for players? And is that something you'll have to like reverse now? Or um, I guess this will parlay into all the new, the MLB rule changes, but I guess just on like those, those macro levels, those macro changes, like how, how did it handle the the run environment, all these wonderful variables that were being thrown? Uh, Yeah. So I'm still in the process of accounting for all of these things. Um, The bat was never really accounting for shift stuff only to the extent that like it was reflected in the guy's actual data, Um, but it was never explicitly accounting for shifts. I looked into it like, like a a long time ago. Um, And there was kind of, at the time um, there was some like, like, um, like prolific sabermetric people who were like, well, like the data is kind of mixed on whether the shift even actually does anything. And then we didn't have uh, full shift data right away. Like we only had it for uh, balls in play. 
which is what people think about the shift with, obviously, like it's it's the balls in play that the shift affects, but actually the shift affects everything. The more prominent effects of a shift actually have to do with like strikeout rates and walk rates. Um, but we didn't have that data initially. So um, so I never actually, it never wound up being enough a priority to go back once we got the full data to do. This offseason, obviously forcing my hand, definitely going through, definitely looking at the shift data, making adjustments for it. Um, the problem is that uh, one, it's not being like outlawed entirely. Like teams are still going to be able to like do variations of the shift. We don't know which teams are going to get like super weird. Like it's possible some teams say, okay, well, we can't put, you know, we got to keep our four infielders on the, on the dirt, on the infield dirt or whatever. We got to keep them two on each side of the bag, but like, maybe I'll just like move my left fielder over into right field where I normally would have positioned one of my shift guys or like, like you don't know what teams are going to do weird stuff. You don't know which ones are going to abandon the shift entirely, which are going to um, just do partial shifts. Um, and, and again, like anytime you make a change, there's always the possibility for just unforeseen things happening just because of the way players adjust, you know, our players. Okay. Now there's no shift. Are they going to stop trying to hit it over the shift? Are they going to start? Like, are they going to change their approach at all? Like you just don't know. And so I'm accounting for it the best I can based on what we know about the shift and kind of overall trends with it. But uh, you know, it's, it's, it's a little bit of guesswork, you know, there, there's uncertainty. Yeah, definitely. And yeah, just quantifying those human elements. I remember hearing you on Baseball HQ pod with Patrick David, and he asked you if there's a data set that you don't have yet that you would want to. And you're like, yeah, I would like to be wired into someone's brain. You know, and I always <laughs> thought about that because, you know, there's you know, obviously there's, you know, there's rumblings or there's known things that, the, you know, there's major league clubs that accept if, if a guy's showing like a, off um heart rate or just whatever like the metric they're seeing when they're wearing these sleeves and body stuff like yeah. they're like i'll take a break today and like that's that's so wild you know to imagine that you can get into someone's like quantifying those human elements too like you said because i was listening to a podcast with ian happ and he's like yeah he's like do you know how much more you know baseball is such confidence too and like you know not seeing so much of a shift, but just seeing one less guy or just knowing that there might be more holes, just going up to bat. There's just like that air of, oh, okay, I might have a better chance of getting a hit. And then also him saying too, like maybe now guys will stop trying to always go yard, but just hit the ball hard in general, like and go back to a line drive approach. And then you have that too. Like what if the power now just goes down like a hair because guys are more like, oh, okay, let's just get some good wood on the ball instead of trying to hit it over everyone. So all those things, like the human element that we can't quantify that we want to is, is, is so unpredictable, right? Yeah, that that's exactly it. Yeah. Player approach. Um, What about the pitch clock? You think that's going to have any effect in it? If you do, like who you think would struggle with it more, a batter or a pitcher? Yeah. So I think in general, major league pitchers are, I mean, they're the best in the world at what they do. They, they've gone through a lot to get to this level. I don't think they're going to have much issue with the pitch clock. I could be wrong. And there will probably be some exceptions, especially some of the slower guys. Um, you know, there's some talk, maybe some of the guys that are really slow, you know, that kind of took that extra time. Uh, as kind of like an, almost like an endurance thing, you know, maybe they'll lose a, you know, a tick or two on their fastball velocity just because they don't have that extra time to like rest between pitches or that kind of thing. But I think for the most part, I don't think the pitch clock is going to wind up being a huge deal for pitchers. 
Um, I do think the combination of pitch clock, the the pickoff attempt rule, the base sizes, all those things combined, I do think is going to lead to more stolen bases this year for hitters. Right. So like not individually making big marks, but collectively moving the needle a little bit. Um, yeah. And it's possible. Like, I mean, it's, it's almost likely that certain guys you're going to see big spikes in stolen bases. But again, that kind of comes back to the human element of like, okay, which of these guys are going to see these rules and be like, all right, I want to try to take advantage of this. And we don't, we don't know that. Um, yeah. We, we just don't. That will to steal, that desire to, you know, is it some, is it a player who's on the roster and is making his mark with his legs and he needs to steal a little more, you know, like um, that's such a big difference. I, I always think about like Jake, Jake McCarthy on the Diamondbacks and he just, he's going to have to steal to just really make the, keep a distance from like the Alec Thomases and all these other guys he has behind him. So maybe his drive there is to steal more. Um but yeah, so like, do you think the spikes would come like just in general? You think it, you might see Tommy Edmond taking a bigger jump or the guy with like eight to 12, you know, like that? That's, I, think, I think, yeah, I think the top guys, honestly, I just think the top guys are going to be more of in a position to just really separate themselves even more. I think that's a really interesting question and kind of at least grouping guys by type like that is, is I think probably the best that we can do. And I don't know the answer yet. The yeah. The good news is that for this, we do have some minor league data to work off of. Like they, they did implement these rules in the minors last year. We saw stolen bases go up. Uh, so I'm still kind of in the process of digging through that, quantifying it. And then eventually kind of as the last step, like seeing if certain types of players, speedier players, slower players, those mid-range players, whatever, uh, if certain ones saw a bigger relative leap than, mm. than the others. And I don't have an answer for that yet, but it is on my list to look at. Gotcha. Yeah, I, I saw some minor league games last year, but it's a difference in watching the major league players do it yesterday, watching Nick Martinez pitch in the first couple of innings. And he he's a fast worker as is, but he was just motoring through his, you know, his stuff. And it it kind of got me thinking like, wow, this just that alone might suppress a runner going right because maybe they don't have that time to decide or maybe the pitcher is working so quick but then on the flip side like it's how my brain works i'm thinking well if someone is so mechanical like he's always going at eight or always going at seven do you then time it off of their release and there because now you see a clock too right so the the guy yeah. on first can just look and say oh this guy's always going at seven eight like i'm timing that you know exactly. because he's not looking at me he's not even paying attention to first base so i don't know there were so many things like that i was thinking yesterday while i was watching the spring training games and i just think it's fascinating yeah no i completely agree and that's the kind of thing like which guys are thinking like that which guys are trying to time it and trying to like it's uh it's gonna happen it's just a matter of of who Right. Um, I'm going to ask you one more thing about the um, the shift stuff, like for for a player profile, like um, going into like is it like pulled rates and like elevation on their pulled rates. Is that something that like makes a big dent into like possibly adjusting a player's BABIP with less shifts? Yeah. So the bat definitely accounts for uh, spray tendencies, pull, center, push type of thing. Um the, even just the the original version of the bat that didn't look at Statcast data was already accounting for that kind of stuff as as part of part of the formula, okay. and then with the the bat X coming out a few years ago, including Statcast stuff, uh, it definitely looks at that kind of thing too. You know, it doesn't just look at barrels; it looks at 
you know, pulled barrels, center barrels, opposite barrels, like, and then, you know, not just barrels, but different versions of exit velocity and launch angle and, and everything. Um, and it kind of, it kind of looks at, at all, you know, all the possible, you know, factors that could matter and the combinations of them. And then it kind of says, okay, well, these are the ones that matter the most. And I'm going to build the formulas based on that. So, uh, that kind of stuff definitely does go into, um, you know, the bad X is like, you know, considerations. Okay. That's awesome. That's cool to know. Um, what about the balance schedule? Um, do you think that's going to play into anything that we can, you know, accurately project? Yeah. So, uh, this is one that I, I hear people talk about, and this is the one I'm least concerned about because the bat already does this just automatically. Um, what? so like before it projects anything, it looks at everything that a player has done in the past. Um, and it looks at the context of what he did, you know, what park he was in, who the opposing pitcher or hitter was, um, the defensive alignment, the umpire, the weather, like all that kind of stuff. Uh, and then it, it basically, it looks at the quality of each of those things and it adjusts the player so that we have a baseline to work from. So everyone is apples to apples. Everybody is in this like exactly neutral context, basically as if they were just facing an average pitcher, average park, average weather, average everything. Um, so guys who were, you know, playing in cores, like an extra few games, like in the past, like that's accounted for They're they're, you know, credit is being removed for having played in cores so often. Um, and then once you have that, then it projects forward. It says, okay, well, coming up this season, they're playing, this is their exact schedule. These are the teams, the parks, everything they're going to be playing in the time of year for the weather. Um, and it adjusts them based on that. Um, so it was already doing that before. Um, so I kind of actually hate the balance schedule because I felt like that was a real edge that the bat had because it was accounting for the unbalancedness of it. Right. Now that the schedule's balanced, like you really don't, you don't get as much juice out of that squeeze because, you know, even if you weren't doing that, you're going to get closer just because the schedule is balanced now. So, uh, I don't like it, but it is, you know, it's just for me, it's no extra work. Gotcha. Yeah. So it was like a, it was a differentiator for the bat because it was always absorbing all this data anyway. Yeah. yeah I get it. So what kind of, uh, like pitch mix, pitch movement data goes into the projections? Are you using, you know, like all the lateral, I mean, you know, uh, vertical movement, horizontal movement, all that fun stuff that goes into it. So as of right now, the only things that are going into the bat are fastball velocity, and fastball spin. Um, okay. And that that's it. Um, that's not because I don't think everything else is valuable. It's just because they were very easy to put in. I've done that years ago. Um, and I'm in the process of, I've been in the process for the last six years, but hopefully it's coming very soon. Incorporating. Yeah full the full gauntlet of everything you know awesome like uh you know like we have eno stuff plus now and that kind of thing and i've kind of been developing my own version of stuff plus for for again six years now um and it's getting close it's getting close it's going to account for everything for for pitch mix and for the quality of each picks uh each pitch you know velocity movement spin uh seam shifted wake tunneling late break like Every nice. stuff that stuff that isn't going into any of the other public models right now. Like um, uh, I'm very excited about it. It's going to be really good. And I think it's going to make a big difference in pitcher projections, because again, these are the kind of things that do stabilize very quickly. And so we can buy into changes very early into the season with pitchers using this type of thing. That's super exciting. Yeah. I know you've been um, 
constantly mentioning how it's like it's been a work in progress and it's, it's I know. but it's coming but i'm super it's excited just for so that. it's so complex there's so yeah. much that goes into pitching yep. um and and you need really like really advanced models to capture it um and so it's just it's it's a massive undertaking but once it's done it's going to be really good right because i guess kind of goes into my next question too even for batters like if you're taking an account into that stuff then you also have to um do you also have to create an expectancy off of that event like if a pitch moves this way and goes this fast and a batter does this to it um you know like how 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 does all that stuff get mixed in or will you try to i guess eventually i'll probably try to look into that type of thing i think there's more noise in that type of thing than people realize at least just like yeah some hitters are going to be able to hit you know, slurvy sliders better or whatever, but I don't think the data we have with it. Uh, I think you probably have to make a lot of adjustments to it to really get any kind of, any kind of signal out of it. I think there's a lot of noise involved. Um, there's certain, uh, uh, wider scope things that we can account for, obviously, like, you know, you know, platoon splits, like, yeah, we can account for platoon splits. Like righties are going to hit lefties better than they're going to hit righties. Um, you know, pitchers that have, uh, sinker, you know, sinker slider pitchers are going to have wider platoon splits, you know, fastball, you know, 12, six curveball pitchers are going to have, you know, maybe reverse platoon splits and the bats already accounting for that type of thing. Um, so we can definitely project it that way, but like the really granular, like batter, you know, this batter does, you know, especially, especially well against sliders that move like this. I think that's probably, um, that's probably more granular than, than we're actually going to get, you know, real, real insight from. Yeah. Like just having like saying um, this batter saw these pitchers that moved like this and went this fast. And normally a batter does this level when seeing those pitches. So, and if this batter did very poorly, should he get better per se, if he sees similar pitches, right? Something like that. Like I've always wondered that. And the, the tough part about that too, is that like, okay, let's say that that is a thing. Um, there's the game theory component of it. Like pitchers, they, we have all the advanced, you know, teams have the advanced scouting pitches are going to go in knowing, okay, well, this batter is really good against a slider that looks like mine. Why am I going to throw him this slider? Let me throw him my curveball instead. Let me, you know, like, like there is that component of it too. Yeah, absolutely. hundred percent. Um, so what about like, um, pitcher splits into um the, the hitters and pitchers like um obviously you got the handedness stuff but how about like the pitch mix versus a specific handedness like you know zach wheeler throws oh he throws sinkers only to lefties so and then you have to look at his whole pitch mix versus just how he approaches a specific batter right so uh so the bat does do that it okay. looks at every pitcher's repertoire and their pitch mix um and it says okay and it knows which types of pitches are better against righties and lefties and to which extent. So like we know, yeah, I said it before, sinkers and sliders are really good to generally are really good to same handed batters. Mm -hmm. uh, once you get, you know, the, the more four seam fastballs, change ups, curve balls, um, they are more neutral splits, reverse splits type stuff. And so, you know, you throw them more to, to opposite handers. And so the bat will look at, okay, this is the guy's pitch mix. This is what he throws to righties. This is what he throws to lefties. Um, you know, this this is kind of what we'd expect his split to be. Uh, and then that goes into the projection for sure. 
That's awesome. So like, you know, anyone playing the NFBC and using your Monday to Thursday, Friday to Sunday can know that that's in there already and not have yeah, to say, it. oh, like, like you said, double counting, like, oh, okay. Like, but Zach Wheeler does this. So I'll bump, like, I'll make it better. Actually, Zach Wheeler is like a must, like not a must start, but a probable start most of the time. But um, yeah. so that's awesome just to know that that's kind of in there already. When we're- Yeah, that's in there. And the other thing that, that really influences pitcher splits is arm angle. Uh, you know, your guys who throw really sidearm, they're going to have the wide platoon splits. That sidearm approach is really good against same handers, really bad against opposite handers. And and the opposite goes for the guys who throw really over the top. The guys who throw really over the top are going to have more reverse platoon splits, you know, better against opposite handers type of thing. And that's right. American. Right. And that's, again, that's like the, just the way the eyes see it, just um, part of the stuff that, you know, you can see data wise, but just knowing baseball intuitively, that makes sense from playing it like that. Yeah. Okay. That, that adds up. That's, that's it's cool. also yeah, I mean, and it's also going to impact the way the pitch moves. You know, if you're throwing from the side, you're going to get more of that horizontal movement. It's going to be running away from um, a righty and cutting yeah. into a lefty. Yeah, yeah, that absolutely. That all that stuff is um, all part of the equation. That's that's awesome. So being um, that I love pull hitters, <laughs> and uh, you mentioned it before, like uh, pulled barrels. That's something I've been looking more into, like pulled barrels, pulled home runs, a fly ball, um, pulled exit velocity and i just again just like trying to take a snapshot into just getting deeper into home run or fly ball like trying to explain those things a little better it's kind of something i i've dove into and you know like i like to use it contextually from player to player if it just kind of makes sense to me just even just looking at their their spray angles like you said too so is that something i know you mentioned that's something that you use but like how like is it super valid is it just eh? like is it moving a little bit yeah, no, it, it definitely goes in there. It definitely matters. Um, you know, obviously it's easier to hit a home run that yeah. you pull than one yep. to the opposite field. Um, so yeah, it's it's in there. The bad X is considering it. Um it's it's important. It's not everything. I mean, there's never one one yeah. thing that that you know explains it all. Like there are always a lot of different variables, but that's definitely one that matters. I love it. Yeah, that's um and that's what I think. You know, some pushback that I'll get from anyone who on my podcast are like, well, how can, how much can you trust the poll that I'm like, I'm not saying it's everything, but like I said, when you're just looking at the home run pitcher and the power pitcher, anything you can add that can maybe just bring you more clarity to the situation is, I think it's important to try to use it. Um, yeah, you know, hitter spray tendencies are definitely like, they're part of the player's approach and, and we see it from a data standpoint, like there's you know, there's not a lot of noise in them. They, they stabilize fairly quickly. We know who the pole hitters are. We yep. did. Yeah. And you could like, going back to Oriole Park, you can kind of see Ryan Mountcastle in the second half had more like opposite field barrels, almost like he was trying to kind of go that way because of the left field wall. So then it's like trying to evaluate him was like really hard because he had like the fifth or sixth most barrels in the league. And it's like, but the impact doesn't look as it should have been because of left field, but then it also affected his approach. And then I think, you know, I think there's some data, I think that baseball Q shown like how opposite field home runs are important too, in terms of power going forward, because it shows you can have power to all fields. But if you're always trying to go that way and there's limited effectiveness versus pulling it, then like, how do you use all that? Right. Yeah, that That's exactly it. Like their, their thing is, and they're right. Like if you can hit, if you have a hitter that hits home runs the opposite way, it's an indicator that they're able to hit the ball hard because it's harder to do that. It's harder yeah. to hit it that other way. 
Um, but you don't want a hitter whose approach is just always going the opposite way because it's harder to do that. You're not going to hit as many. You want a guy who's going to mostly pull them, but is capable of going the opposite way when he gets a pitch where it makes sense to do that. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I wanted to talk about the the data that you have on evanalytics.com. I've really grown accustomed to love looking at it. Like always DM'd you about, oh, like this is awesome. And just explaining it more too, because the, to have a glossary there that shows what you know all the stuff means is a whole bunch of different stuff like hitting the ball in the air over 100 miles an hour and the percentages of it and um standard deviation of launch angle and the different buckets of launch angle too which i think is truly important so um if you just touch on like maybe a couple of the ones that you think are more important or like help you at least understand the player's evaluation set a little bit better yeah so these are all ones that i've found have good predictive value. Um, you know, it's more common for people to go to baseball savant to look at their stat cast data, which is fine. Like baseball savant is, is fantastic. Um, but you don't really get the granularity there. You get, okay, this is their average, average exit velocity. This is their average uh, launch angle kind of thing, where if you break it down into kind of these buckets, like I do uh, at EV analytics, you get some extra, some extra clarity. So like, you know, there's a, there's one on there. Okay. Launch angle between negative four and 26 degrees, which has a pretty strong correlation with hitting balls, the right angle to maximize BABIP. Uh, so if you're hitting a lot of balls that way, you're probably a good contact hitter. You're hitting balls in a way that if they're going to be less likely to find a fielder's glove at that angle, but then you have launch angle between 23 and 34 degrees. That's an angle that tends to maximize home runs. So if you're hitting a lot of your balls, at that angle, you're hitting it just high enough to clear the fences, but not too high that it's going to be like a long, you know, high fly ball out. Like you're hitting it right in the right spot where you want to go to clear most fences. Um, and it's the same thing, you know, exit velocity is cool, but if you're just hammering balls into the ground, like why do we really care about exit velocity on ground balls? Like if you just look at the exit velocity on fly balls, that's going to be a bit more indicative of you know, the actual power that you're hitting with the ones that actually have a chance of becoming a home run and that kind of thing. So it has a whole bunch of, you know, variations on launch angle, launch angle, exit velocity, um, each one kind of for a specific purpose, you know, that correlates to a specific skill. And I think they're, they're really useful to look at. And a lot of times I get people say, well, why does the bad X, bad X uses stat cast why does it hate this guy like you look at his sliders on on the top of his savant page like it looks like he the stack cast stuff is great it's like okay sure like yeah his average exit velocity is good but his exit velocity on his fly balls is is not as good you know he's not hitting a lot of balls 100 miles per hour in the air which is which is not good like he's not doing these other things and uh and so mm -hmm. you, you those sliders i like I love that it brings it there for the casual fan to start understanding this stuff. But for people who are really more advanced, like who think that that's like the end all be all, like I hate it. It's so deceptive. <laughs> yeah. Jeff Zimmerman feels the same way. You know, he, he had articles on Fangraph that definitely tell that you can see on his tweets as well. It's just, I think he calls them lollipops, patriotic lollipops. And that's what he says. And <laughs> a lot of them do say similar things. So it's just like, uh, yeah, you know, yeah. That, that's the thing too. A lot of those sliders are, are they're measuring the same thing. They're saying the <laughs> same thing. Like you don't need the pitchers. I don't know. I don't even know. I haven't it's been so long since I've looked at it, but like, yeah. <laughs> especially the pitcher ones. Yeah. Like four of them are like the same, the same one just repeated. <laughs> yeah.
Absolutely. So um, do you have the exit velocity of the top 5% of the hardest hit balls that the player hit versus like max exit velocity? Which one is better? So max is the one that people talk about a lot, I think, which is just uh, at least on the EV page is just the highest exit velocity ball he hit, um, which is important. But if you, you know, if you look at the top 5%, I think that, that that adds a little bit more potentially because, you know, you're not just looking at one single ball. You're looking at, you know, a bigger handful of, of, of the hardest balls that a guy hit. Um, and again, the same as anything else. I said it before, like there's no one thing that just explains everything. But each of these things that I have on here, uh, I have found to to have value. Awesome. Very right, cool, man. Uh, I think this was awesome. You nailed everything else uh, that I put on the dock. And uh, it's great. I think in record time for a poll here to podcast too. So um. <laughs> <laughs> I saw you had Rudy on the other day. It ran like two hours. I'm like, oh man, what am I getting myself into here? But uh, <laughs> <laughs> No, I mean, no, yeah. I mean, you have it everything straight to the point. We did a, a lot of a review on his labor team too. And um, it was fun. It, Plus, he went a little bit into detail about people aggregating projections and compensating without compensating the 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 original benefactors of the aggregated. It was an interesting topic. I, I was he brought it out into the. I guess we've kind of normalized everyone aggregating and and making money. And you know, I don't know. It's just it was interesting. It was an interesting chat. It was good to get it out there though, because I I never looked at it in the way he was looking at it. So. Um, it's um it's it's just great. I just love talking to everyone about this stuff because I I get so much better over as like as as an analyst, as a fantasy player, just even as an observer of baseball. I think it's um the biggest thing to just take everyone's takes and all the work that you do and and, and you know, being able to share it with everyone. I think it's super, super nice of you to do too, you know? Yeah, no, I'm happy to do it. I mean, I'm I feel very fortunate that I can do this for a living. I, I absolutely love it. And so I'm always kind of happy to help. If anyone has any questions, you can always feel free to reach out to me. And uh, yeah, I mean. Yeah, that's the thing. You've been, you, you've always been super accessible and super kind. Um, I think um, I think when I first got into the industry and started playing a little more, just wanted to get a little more knowledge. You know, you're always kind of afraid to reach out to people. You don't know what, you know, like it, you're so busy too. Like you said, you got all these things on your checklist that you have to do. And that's always in the back of my mind. And I'm like, I don't want to bother these guys, but you've always been so good with answering questions about the, again, like we were talking about the EV analytic stuff. And it really just brought me my knowledge of it so much further. So I do really appreciate that. It's really, it's really awesome. It's like, you're one of the people that I could definitely point out and say like, wow, like th what a great interaction, like just great interactions, good communication between people. Just really, I guess in this world, this day, you know, like it, it's just, uh, it makes me happy. <laughs> it's like little yeah. things like that. <laughs> yeah, no, I'm, I'm, it makes me happy to hear that. That's, that's kind of what I'm going for. You know, Twitter, <laughs> Twitter can be a cesspool at times. And, uh, <laughs> You know, uh, I, you know, especially people who are, are coming at it from a perspective of like, I actually want to learn something or I just want to have a conversation or I need help. Um, I'm more than happy to help those people. The people who come at me on Twitter that are like, you're a fucking idiot. Like, why did you get Tatis wrong? Uh, those people I'll maybe go at a little more harshly, but anyone who's like genuine, um, I'm more than happy to more than happy to help. <laughs> Right. And I think that's just too many of people on Twitter these days is maybe people want to get into the industry or just grow their following. And it's like, 
just stop with the hot takes and the pushing against. If you want to learn and show people that you're educated and like asking educated questions, just just do that. Just be a nice person. Um, again, pushback. We're gonna get it right, and you're gonna get it too. But like, come come with some constructive feedback and criticism, and then you know we can learn together, right? It's just I hate so many of those. Like I said, just the oh steamer and a bat type. This person. Well, this, this, they don't know what they're talking about. It's, it's, <laughs> ask some questions, ask some real, like legit questions and don't be like, I, like I like to say, don't be a bag of shit. Like but it, Rob, you're, Rob, you're forgetting <laughs> that guy played in high school. He's watched these guys play on TV. He knows, he knows for sure that steamer and the bat are wrong. My baseball eye is insane. I know swing mechanics. I know everything. <laughs> <laughs> Good point, man. Derek, I really appreciate this, man. This was awesome. And if you want to just plug all your stuff so everyone knows where to find you and what you're going to have going on this year, go ahead. Yeah, so uh, my projection system, the Bad X, is pretty good. Um, you can find it on Fangraphs uh, for season long, completely free uh, during the season. Um, you can find it at Roto-Grinders if you're a DFS player. And at EV Analytics, if you are a sports better. And uh, if you haven't seen my tweet from a couple days ago, uh, the the picks that I gave out using the bat and EV Analytics tools last year did really, really good. Plus 102 units, 24% ROI. It's all recorded. It's all, go check out the tweet. Um, it, uh, you know, if you are sports betting and you're not using the bat, I think you're you're missing out because it's, it's really good. Yep. 100% agree, man. And uh, good luck for everything this year. And I can't wait to see the pitching model. And I can't wait to see all the adjustments that you make with when you're finally done with the uh, rules changes and stuff. So good luck to everything you're doing going forward, Derek. Thank you so much. Thanks for having me on. Alrighty, folks, thanks for tuning in to another episode of the Pole Hitter Podcast. There will be about 10 minutes of this podcast that I recorded with Derek that will be saved for my Patreon page. So once that comes out, there'll be some additional info that you'll be able to hear from Derek Hardy about projecting forward to this 2023 season. So um, make sure to jump on that when it comes out. It's going to be a fun ride this year, and I hope everyone keeps supporting the Pole Hitter Podcast as well as the Launch Angle Podcasts. Find the shows, follow them, rate, review, all that helps a bunch. And spring training is here, so make sure you're on the news, you're watching the games, you're looking at the box score and trying to get any bit of feedback and value you can from that going forward. And uh, don't be a bag of shit while you're doing it.